right. Well, I hope you found Psalm 89. Uh, like I said, this is the Advent season. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. The word Advent means what? What does the word Advent mean? Coming? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Coming or arrival. Uh, and the Advent season is specifically a, a season of anticipating that arrival, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And we, as we celebrate Advent, experience the anticipation of Advent in a couple of different ways. We first symbolically enter into the longing of the people of God who were anticipating the first coming or the first Advent of the Messiah. We read Isaiah earlier and we're going to see in Psalm 89 this morning. But we also, not only do we symbolically enter into their longing for Christ's first coming, we also literally are longing for Christ's second coming. We are in a period of waiting. We are in a period of longing, and Advent uh, is designed to help us long for the coming of Christ. Can I admit something to you, though? We don't quite celebrate Advent rightly. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, Advent is designed to be a season of longing, groaning, anticipation, yearning, waiting. It's designed to be a long build-up that leads up to the celebration of Christmas. What we do is we kind of mix the celebrating and the anticipating together. You know, we say, oh, it's the Advent season, but we have parties and we have events and festivities that celebrate Christmas before it's actually Christmas. And don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sin. Let me just give you a warning. Don't let all the celebrations of Christmas cause you to miss the longing of Advent. Don't let the the parties and the festivities and the happiness cause you to miss the the, the pain of waiting, the eagerness of what has yet to come. Before we celebrate that Christ has come, before we can really appreciate that Christ has come, we need to feel the tension that exists because all is not right in the world. So lean into the anticipation of the Advent season. Lean into the the longing, the groaning, the anticipation, the yearning. We continue to groan with creation. We continue to experience the corruption of sin within us and around us. We continue to endure unjust earthly kingdoms. So may we let the Advent season pour gasoline on our burning desire to see King Jesus return. Uh, This year for Advent, we're preaching through four Advent Psalms, and it's fitting we're in the Psalms because uh, the Psalter, as we have it, was actually compiled after the time of the Babylonian exile. It was given in its final form to the people of God who knew the angst of anticipation, the pain of longing. They lived in the dissatisfaction of promises made that haven't been fulfilled yet. They were anticipating the arrival 
of the Messiah. Today we're going to be in Psalm 89. It was written by Ethan the Ezraite, who was a contemporary of King David, and he wrote Psalm 89 all about God's love. Uh, again, that's why we're looking at this psalm today. Again, the theme of this second Sunday of Advent is love. We've lit the love candle. Uh, but Psalm 89 is specifically about longing for God's love. As we'll see, Psalm 89 is a psalm of angst. It's a psalm of dissatisfaction. It's a psalm of longing, a psalm of anticipation, and a psalm of questioning. It is a perfect Advent psalm. Uh, now, Psalm 89 is very long, and so we're not going to read the whole thing right now. We'll eventually get to each verse, but for now, I just want to read three portions from the three main sections of this psalm so that you can get a sense for the whole thing. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God and come with the authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Uh, beginning in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says, A mascal of Ethan the Ezraite, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, Steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Salah. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones. And awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Now jump down to verse 19. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. But now, listen to the shift that comes in verse 38. But now... You have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Salah. The grass withers. The flower fades. 
but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. All of Psalm 89 can be summed up in the question that comes in verse 49. Would you look down at that verse? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Where is your steadfast love? Where is your love, God? That's the burning question of Psalm 89. You promise your love. Where is it? You said it would never leave. I don't see it anymore. Where is your love? It's the burning question of Psalm 89, and it's a question that I know burns in hearts today. How could you let that happen, God? I thought you loved me. How could you take that away from me, God? I thought you loved me. Why would you do this to me, God? I thought you loved me. Where is your love. In Psalm 89, God gives us words to sing when we can't see his love. In Psalm 89, God gives us words to sing when we can't see his love. What do we do When we don't see God's love? Well, there's three answers to that question in Psalm 89 in the three main sections of this psalm. Let's walk through them together. What do we do when we don't see God's love? Number one, bring to mind who God is. Bring to mind who God is. Now, As we go back to the beginning of Psalm 89, when you know how Psalm 89 ends, it is amazing to see how it begins. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. I will sing of your steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Salah. We know where Ethan is going with this psalm, right? He's going to ask, where is your steadfast love? But first, he praises Yahweh's steadfast love with remarkable patience before he gets to his questions. Out of his mouth come praises. Yahweh's steadfast love is his commitment to care for his own. It's his covenant-keeping 
love. And the covenant that Ethan has in mind is specifically God's covenant with David. And we're going to see more of that as the psalm goes on. But even as Ethan is writing about a situation in which it seems like Yahweh's steadfast love has ceased, it seems like he has broken his covenant with David, Ethan starts by praising God's steadfast love. When your circumstances cause you to doubt God's love for you, there's a time and a place for lament and questions, and we're going to get there, I promise. But first, bring to mind who God is. Praise God for the love that you want to see, even if you can't see it right now. Bring to mind who God is. One way to bring to mind who God is is to take your eyes off of your present suffering and put them on how God has put his glory on display before now. And that's what Ethan does as he continues his praise in verses 5 through 8. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Ethan doesn't just take his eyes off of his circumstances. He takes his eyes and goes beyond this planet. He goes beyond the material universe. He looks to heaven. He considers all the angelic beings that surround God's presence, beings beyond our physical world, devoted to serving God. And he calls on them to praise Yahweh because as awesome as these heavenly beings are, they don't even come close to the majesty of the God that they serve. So when your circumstances are so all-consuming and and so demanding that you feel like you can hardly even think about anything that's not right in front of you, look to the God in heaven. Look to the God who transcends your circumstances, who transcends your location, who transcends this moment in time, who transcends creation. Look at earth in light of heaven. Look at this moment in light of eternity. Look at creation in light of the creator. Look to the God to whom no one on earth or in heaven compares. Ethan then turns his attention to Yahweh's power over the earth in verses 9 through 12. He says, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. We see here Ethan declare Yahweh as the God who rules over the sea. Uh, So when you hear that name Rahab, Don't think the woman from Jericho. Uh, Rahab was the name of a mythological sea creature. And uh, Rahab is also used in the Bible as a name to describe Egypt. And so these two pictures then come together uh, in God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt at the Red Sea. Yahweh dominated Rahab, so to speak, and she's a myth, but the the pictures that he dominated Rahab by controlling the sea. 
And he also used the sea to scatter the Egyptians with his mighty arm. Yahweh rules the sea. Yahweh also rules the land. Uh, Tabor and Hermon were these great mountains in Israel. And so Ethan praises Yahweh as the God of heaven and earth. He praises Yahweh as the God of land and sea. He praises Yahweh as the God of the world and everything in it. When you're overwhelmed by life on earth and how out of control you are, fix your eyes on the God who made the earth and who rules over the earth. Well, Ethan then turns his attention to how Yahweh has shown his character toward his people in verses 13 through 18. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Consider who God is for His people. Our God is mighty. He is all-powerful. He can do anything that accords with His will and character. So when you doubt that God can come through for you, remember that nothing is too hard for the mighty arm of our God. Our God is righteous and just. He never does anything that is not right. He will not let uh, injustice go unanswered. So when you question why God would let something happen to you, remember that every decision that comes from his sovereign throne is right and just. Ethan says steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. The, The picture is that his face is glowing with love and faithfulness. So when you doubt that God will keep his promises, remember that trustworthiness emanates from him. It is essential to his nature. Mighty, righteous, faithful. This is who Yahweh is. And if we are his people, we are blessed. If this God is our God, we can rejoice in him. We can stand strong. We can stand safe and secure. So in your longing, remember who God is. And remember what it means that we belong to him as his people. Bring to mind who God is. This is the first thing that Ethan does. This is the first thing that we need to do when we don't see God's love. Bring to mind who God is. Second, bring to mind what God has said. When you doubt that God is keeping his word, bring to mind what God has said. In this next section, um, Ethan recounts the covenant God made with David in 2 Samuel 7. Let's read verses 19 through 21. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. God chose David to be his anointed king, and he promised to be with him and to strengthen him. 
What does that look like? Well, as Ethan goes on in verses 22 through 24, he shows us that part of what that looks like is Yahweh defeating David's enemies. Look at verse 22. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Yahweh promised David's enemies wouldn't get the upper hand. He promised he would crush those who oppose him. And notice at the end of verse 24 there, he set his faithfulness and steadfast love. You'll often see those as twin attributes of God together. Steadfast love and faithfulness. God set his steadfast love, his covenant-keeping love on David to ensure these promises of defeating David's enemies. Look at verses 25 through 28. Yahweh also promised David dominion. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. Yahweh promised David dominion. He, he would give David dominion over the promised land. I give that from verse 25 talking about the sea and the river. The sea likely refers to the Red Sea, which was along the southern border of David's kingdom. Uh, the rivers included the Euphrates on Israel's northern border. So to put his hand on both of those is to give him dominion over the whole promised land. Yahweh would also give his anointed king the status of being his firstborn son. This is a status, a role, a title. Uh, it was first given to Adam, who was to take dominion over the earth. It was a status and a title that was eventually given to the nation of Israel. But then that status was ultimately given to the anointed Davidic king. Now, we saw this back in Psalm 2, uh, in verses 7 through 9. Uh, the psalmist writes, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So to be the, the firstborn son, to have that status of the son of God, was to give dominion. Uh, the dominion that Yahweh promised his anointed, his son, was not just dominion over the promised land, but even over the rest of the kings of the earth. Yahweh's king would be the king of kings. And again, we see in verse 28 that Yahweh sealed this promise with his steadfast love that would keep this covenant forever. Uh, Yahweh also made promises about David's offsprings. Uh, look at verses 29 to 33. I will establish David's offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. So Yahweh promised an ultimate offspring, a singular offspring who we know to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would reign on David's throne for all of eternity. But before that single offspring would come a long line of offsprings before the perfect offspring would come many imperfect offsprings of David. And God promised that if those imperfect offsprings 
were to disobey his commands, he would punish them. Yes, his steadfast love is on them, but his steadfast love is no excuse for disobedience. He promised his rod of discipline. And in 2 Samuel 7, in verse 14, Yahweh says this rod is the rod of men. In other words, Yahweh would use other kings and nations as his rod in his hand to discipline his disobedient king. But God promised in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 15, and then Ethan repeats here that even though Yahweh will punish his disobedient king, he will never remove his steadfast love and faithfulness. He will never break his covenant. Now, it's important as we, as we follow the flow of this psalm and think about it in its whole context, it's important that we see here that Ethan specifically here calls to mind this one promise of discipline from Yahweh's covenant with David. Because as we've already read, he's going to go on to describe how the people of God are suffering at the hands of their enemies, the rod of men. Ethan likely sees Israel's situation as a fulfillment of this promise of discipline. Uh, And so even though Ethan will go on to voice these questions and uh, accusations even, we see an indication that uh, he knew that God was not breaking his promise to maintain the line of David. He was actually keeping his promise to discipline his disobedient kings. Uh, But in light of this, in light of how Ethan brings this up with knowing where he's going, uh, as it pertains to us, as we think about the importance of bringing to mind what God has said, it's important in our longing, in the angst of anticipation that we remember all that God has promised and what he hasn't promised. For example, Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. In fact, he actually promised that in this world we would have tribulation. And so we can't say when we're suffering, life is hard, God must not love me. No, bring to mind what God said. When God forgives us of our sin in Christ, he does not promise that we can then sin as much as we want without consequence. No, in fact, he promises us, just like he promised to David, that as a good father, he disciplines his sons he loves. So we can't say that when we suffer because of our sin, oh, my sins have consequences, God must not love me. No, bring to mind what God has said. God was clear to David. His steadfast love didn't mean bad things would never happen, but bad things also do not mean that God's steadfast love ceases. Yahweh made an eternal covenant that he would not break. And we see that in verses 34 through 37. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His his offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies, Salah. God will keep his promise to David. His holiness is on the line. God will establish David's offspring forever, who will reign on the throne 
for all of eternity. You can take that to the bank. And so in your longing, bring to mind what God has said. Remember the promises of God. When God feels distant, remember that Jesus says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. When God's love seems to have stopped, remember the promise of Romans 8 that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When it feels like God has given up on you, remember the promise of Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Bring to mind what God has said. And then finally, bring your longing to God so he can bring you to Christ. Bring your longing to God so he can bring you to Christ. This is the third way that we can respond when we don't see God's love. It's the example that God gives us in Ethan and Psalm 89. Bring your longing to God. So he can bring you to Christ. After praising God's covenant-keeping steadfast love in the first part of this psalm, and after recounting God's specific covenant to David in the second part of this psalm, in the third act, if you will, of this psalm, Ethan then brings to God the suffering of God's people. Suffering that calls into question God's steadfast love. Ethan laments and he questions. Look at verses 38 to 45 again. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all of his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Salah. Ethan wrote this again at the, in the days uh, of David, but this song really would have made the most sense generations later when the people of Judah sang it after being invaded by Babylon and taken into exile. At that moment, when Jerusalem was captured, plundered, People were taken away, deported to Babylon. It seemed like God rejected his anointed. David's descendant, uh, Jeconiah, was taken into captivity and no longer reigned on the throne in Jerusalem. It, It seemed like God renounced his covenant when Jerusalem's walls were breached and the Babylonians plundered the city. God had promised, as we just read in Psalm 89, that the enemy wouldn't win. That he would crush the enemies of the anointed, yet it seemed that Yahweh had exalted the enemies of the anointed. 
God let the splendor of the throne be turned into shame. The eternal reign of God, or excuse me, the eternal reign of the king that God promised seems to have been cut off. So Ethan voices questions of confusion, beginning in verses 46 to 48. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Salah. The suffering. That feeling that God has rejected his king and broken his promises. It pours out out into these agonizing questions. How long, O Lord? That is the question of Advent. How long, O Lord? Is this how it's going to be forever? The people of God in exile and even after the exile ask this question. How long, O Lord? How long are we going to have to withstand your judgment? How long are we going to have to wait for you to fulfill your promises? Maybe you've asked that question too. How long, O Lord? I I don't know if I can take much more. How long is this going to last? Ethan asked Yahweh to remember how how short his time is. Uh, Am I going to die before you come through? Is this all meaningless? And, And I want you to look again at that question of verse 48. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? God, you promised a king who would reign forever, but is eternal life even possible? Isn't the death of man the death of your promise? If a man dies, who is strong enough to overcome the power of the grave? It's an Advent question begging for an Easter answer. But notice that with this question, Ethan draws a line, and that line is death. Uh, The question of verse 48 implies that if this line is crossed, then God can't show his steadfast love anymore. Before death, up to that line, I can understand how God can still be loving. But cross that line, all hope is lost. Do you ever find yourself doing this? Do you ever draw lines for God? Do you ever draw lines for how far you're willing to trust God? Maybe you think, if blank ever happened to me, I couldn't believe God loves me anymore. Or, I can believe God loves me unless blank were taken away from me. Then I couldn't believe that God loves me anymore. Well, Ethan's questions continue in verses 49 through 51. Lord, where is your steadfast love? Where is your steadfast love? Where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Where did your love go, God? Where's that faithfulness you promised? I thought your steadfast love would be built up forever. I thought steadfast love emanated from your face, God. Will you please notice how your anointed is being mocked 
Will you notice how your people are being insulted? But the psalm doesn't end with a question. It ends like it began with praise. Look at verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Before Ethan's questions are answered, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Before the longing was over, in his suffering and confusion, he says, praise God. Even though Ethan hadn't received the answers to all of his questions, he trusted that God would one day answer these questions. He trusted that God is still worthy of praise even when I don't have an answer to my question yet. And sure enough, God did answer these questions. What Ethan longed for, what he saw dimly, we can now see clearly in the light of the New Testament. His questions would be answered in the coming of Jesus in ways he couldn't even imagine. Derek Kidner says, The unanswerable questions, like our own, were to have undreamt of and unquestionable answers. Ethan asked, Where is your steadfast love? It was a question he penned in his day. It was a question that the exiles were asking when Jerusalem was destroyed and they were taken into captivity. But even in that moment of tragedy and questioning and longing, you remember what the prophet Jeremiah said. How he answered the question, where is your steadfast love? Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In Ethan's longing, the steadfast love of the Lord hadn't ceased. In the exile, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceased. In all of the waiting of the people of God who anticipated the advent of the Messiah, even when God was silent, His love hadn't ceased. All of their longing was to be fulfilled. All of their waiting was going to be worth it. Ethan's question, where is God's love, would ultimately be met by John's answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Where is God's love? It's in a manger. Where the eternal God humbled himself to take on human flesh and be born as the offspring of David. Where is God's love? It's on a cross. Where the anointed was mocked and insulted. Where the anointed was cast off and rejected. 
where the anointed's enemies rejoiced, where the anointed was punished, not for his own transgressions, but for the transgressions of his unfaithful people. Where is God's love? It's in an empty grave where Jesus Christ walked out and he will never see death again. Where Christ's soul was delivered from the power of Sheol. Where is God's love? It's in heaven now where Christ is receiving the praises of all the heavenly beings. It's in heaven now where Christ is interceding for you in your suffering, in your longing right now. It is in heaven where Christ is suffering with you even as you long for him to return. Where is God's love? It's still to come. When King Jesus returns to crush every enemy, when King Jesus returns to right every wrong, when King Jesus returns to make all things new, when King Jesus will sit on the throne of David forever, when King Jesus will have dominion over all of creation, the questions of Ethan, the longing of the exiles, the angst of Advent and our present suffering, they all find their answer in the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever known, the person of Jesus Christ. So in your longing, in your suffering, when you question where God's love is, bring your pain, bring your questions, bring your confusion to God, but don't stop there. Let your longing for God's love lead you to Christ. Bring your longing to God so he can bring you to Christ. Just like the questions of Psalm 89 drive us to the answer of Christ, let your longing lead you to Christ. Let your weeping lead you to the one who will wipe every tear from our eyes. When you're treated unjustly, let it lead you to the one who sits on a throne of righteousness and justice. Let your frustration over sin drive you to the cross where sin was defeated. Let your pain and sickness drive you to the one by whose stripes we are healed. Bring your longing to God so that he can bring you to Christ. When you don't see God's love, bring to mind who God is. Bring to mind what God has said. And bring your longing to God so that he can bring you to Christ. Where is God's love? Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Where is God's love? It's in Christ. It's love that shines into our darkness. It's love that meets us in our waiting. It's love that came from heaven to earth 
and its love that will come again and reign forever throughout heaven's eternal days. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in this room who, whether they would admit it or not, are asking the question, where is your love? Who are longing for your love? And don't see it. Lord, I pray that you would shine into their hearts and show them who you are. As loving, faithful, righteous, all-powerful. I pray that, we, that they would remember what you said. your promises. And Lord, I pray that they would bring their longing to you so that you can bring them to Christ. Lord, I pray that they would bring their questions to you boldly so that you can lead them to the answer. Lord, we, we sit here in waiting and longing for Christ to return. We sit here in the corruption of sin, the imperfections of the world, the brokenness of our own hearts. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would fuel our longing for the demonstration of love that will come when our King returns to set up his throne forever and ever, when you once and for all demonstrate that your steadfast love never ceases, that you do keep all of your promises. That though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word will stand forever. Lord, I pray that Christ would bring comfort to my longing soul and to the longing souls of those in this room. And Lord, I pray that as we anticipate the day that Christ returns, we would celebrate and fix our eyes and set our hopes on our King who will reign forever. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.